Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. So, Clay is not the host today. Uh, he's on vacation, so I'm here with my wife, Andrea, and so we're kind of co-hosting, co-sharing uh, about this text and the cutting room floor since she gets to see uh, the literal pieces that are left on the floor as I'm t- cutting things out of my sermon each week, and uh, she gets to experience that. Plus, I think this uh, this passage has some really interesting things to talk about in, with husband and wife. So, honey, I welcome you to the show. Thank you. It's, <laughs> it's really a blessing to be here. I'm excited to hang out with you for a little bit. All right. Yeah. So uh, I'll let you ask the questions, and we'll just kind of go back and forth on um, on this on this uh, passage. That's great. I I love that you've been doing this sermon on repentance, and it's really made me think a lot about my own view of repentance and how much broader and deeper it is than what you have kind of what I've grown up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. And one of the questions I really wanted to ask you: so, where do you think your first um, initial impression of repentance came from your initial idea of what (laughs) repentance is came from yeah i mean the first time i remember hearing it was probably a fiery sermon uh i grew up as a christian my my parents took us to church early on and we went to some pretty um hellfire and brimstone churches if you're familiar with that language oh yeah and uh yeah i i remember feeling guilty uh, w- without even realizing what I was feeling guilty for. <laughs> oh, wow. Preacher was just hammering us. And uh, I, I remember as a kid going down to the altar, uh, I don't even know what I'm repenting for, but I know I'm supposed to repent because, because the pastor, man, just laid it on thick. So, you know, not everybody has grown up in church. And so I, and I also think that, you know, I got some really uh, – distorted understandings of what repentance was. But as I've grown up and as I've been a pastor, I think a lot of people have had distorted ideas of what repentance is. So so you know, where I would say that my genesis of understanding what repentance is has come from me studying the Bible and realizing, you know, what does the Scripture say when it uses this word? And, you know, we do word studies that are absolutely fascinating to me. And uh, it kind of breaks up what a word means. And so, um, you know, with the word repentance, I think I shared either in the last sermon or the week before that, uh, you know, there's an Old Testament concept and a New Testament concept. The Old Testament concept comes from this Hebrew word shub, and it's not a, a religious word. It's, it's just a directional word. Uh, I'm turning right. to go this way or turning to go that way. But then when it's used in a moral context um, or a religious context, then it takes on the religious meaning. But nobody in USA today uses the word repent in any other shape except for any other way, except for a moral way. You you did something wrong. You need to repent of it. Um, so even, even when we were reading through the book of Ruth, uh, if you read through it in, letter, in the original language, Hebrew, uh, it talks about Ruth turning back to 
uh, to Moab or, you know, turning towards uh, Bethlehem. And there's the word shub, there's the word repented. Interesting. But, you know, we wouldn't translate it as, and Ruth repented. <laughs> right, right. It's the whole context thing. Where, exactly. What's going on in the Very address good. there. So, yeah. Yeah. Context is one of the most important rules for accurately translating and interpreting. Yeah, so true. So as I began to grow as a student of the word, um, I began to, you know, understand this idea of turning. And I think also I was more aware then of good preaching. And I began to hear a lot of uh, repetition of the Greek word metanoia. I heard many, many times the famous definition that that metanoia is a compound word that means change mind, change of, of mind. And while that's absolutely true, we go back to what you said a couple of minutes, seconds ago, context, because while the word metanoia technically just means change of mind, it, it, it's meaning to, to convey a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. It's meaning to convey a change of mind that includes a change of heart, that includes a change of direction. So if you don't include those parts of it and only go with the textbook definition, then you're really not capturing the biblical concept of repentance. So go ahead. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And oftentimes things that start in your mind, those belief systems, they get into your heart, they get into your system. And before you know it, you're like, whoa, and I I really need to change my mind, my attitude, my actions, which is what you were saying on Sunday. The doing part of this, you can't just repent, there's got to be proof in your life. You're actually putting that into action. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I I love that idea of of changing your thoughts. Um, I know you're a big fan of Jenny Allen, the author Jenny Allen. Uh, Mm -hmm. And not only is she famous for the if if gatherings that you guys do, um, she also, what's the name of the book she wrote about mind? Get Uh, Out of Your Head. Get Out of Your Head. Great book. And uh, and she says stuff in there. Help me out with you know the importance of your your what you're thinking, your thoughts, and getting stuck in them. Right? Is yeah, that... you can get into a spiral in your thoughts that can actually drag you really down and take you places that your mind. Well, it can take you a lot of places, but the Word of God always will tell you the truth and will help you reverse that spiral. So it's actually a spiral up, and you can get out of those thoughts, out of the pit, and into more and it's not positivity or positive thinking, yeah, but it's yeah. definitely a direction where God is saying, uh, no, that is that's the lie. Mm-hmm. Believe the truth. Mm-hmm. And when you believe the truth, you are well on your way to um, some changes in your life. So your mind is very powerful. So would you recommend that book? Absolutely. Just to women or men too? Oh, men too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did, I know you read it. Do you remember, did she talk about repentance in the book? I believe she did talk about repentance Uh, because you've got to have a a place where you take your own um, responsibility for your own actions Mm -hmm. and your own attitude. And, you know, it's not the devil made me do it. You're actually sitting in that and Mm -hmm. you have an opportunity to um, apply the truth to your life. And sometimes, you know, you need people around you to say, uh, no, that's not really what you think. You mm-hmm. know, you're a little down right now, but let's really think about what the truth is. What does God say about this? Yeah. And then you can focus and get your mind off of the not-so-great things and onto the better things. I love that because I think there's a lot more Christians that probably need to repent of um, that kind of thinking, that downward spiral, that the, believing the lies 
um, than just the sins of I lied, I lusted, I stole, you know, the classic sins. Uh, you know, you can confess all those sins and still be bound by a lie, and it's controlling your life. And so to, if, if our listeners can expand the understanding of repentance to include what lies am I believing about myself that I've told myself growing up, and and it needs to be shaped by truth. And of course, you know, two weeks ago, I just remembered two weeks ago when we were talking about, um, see, so fill in the valleys, uh, we talked about... Um, Lopping off the hills and then straightening the crooked paths with right. truth. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's a good example of the truth uh, rooting out the lies and me repenting of the, the lies that I have believed. Yeah, um, that's a whole different realm of things I think than most people think about when they think of repentance. Well, and repentance, uh, a lot of times you'll think, okay, I stole something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can see that. Okay, I took something that didn't belong to Are me. Are you repenting right now, honey? I'm not have repenting. You, have because... you stole something? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but if I did steal something, I would let you know, and I certainly re- would repent of that. Um, but mm. no, I, I think the lies in your mind, it's an inside thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see inside your head. Right, right. And so that's a little more insidious. Yeah. But... Um, Certainly that's something you can just need to take to the Lord. Mm. I think one of my favorite things to do is journal mm. because when I write um, from the tip of a pen onto paper, that makes it that much more real and it calls it out for what it is. And I can repent of that thought or that, you know, disappointment that really took me to a bad place. And, um, you know, even the sin that got me there in the first place, I really did this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that, I know you love to journal. I, I love to pray the Psalm one thirty nine twenty three. Search my heart, O God. Mm, yeah. Um, and He's pretty faithful at pointing out you know sin in my life or pointing out um, an attitude that is sinful or a way of interacting. I mean, there's even been times where He uh, uh, He's played like a little video in my mind back of how something I may have said to you, and I'm like, ooh, I need to repent of that. And so that's that's a helpful exercise that the Holy Spirit is faithful to to do in our life. But but you know if I could continue with your original question um, about where my view of repentance came from, um, as I began to discover the biblical understanding of turn, uh, it also helped me to get a biblical understanding of what am I turning from? What what is sin? Yes. Um, and wow. Is the Bible ever uh, a, a rich, colorful resource about the nature of sin? In fact, I, I, could, I want to just share a couple of things that came to my mind. Um, the, the Bible uses, I, I think in the sermon I talked about how sin is often referred to as missing the mark. Yes. And we, we get that from, the. And there's an Old Testament word, shata'ah is the, is the word. Sounds like a cool rock band, doesn't it? It does. Shata'ah. Um, and in the new testament everybody a lot of people who are familiar with a little bit of greek know the word harmatia or harmatano uh, it's different forms but in both cases it's this idea of you've you've missed the goal you've missed the mark Mm. and but as powerful and as colorful as that is that's only a small 
window into the language of sin and what we're repenting for. So the, the, the second concept of, of sin, not only missing the mark, is sin as wandering from the path. So, you know, you can see uh, different pictures of this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that language is, it's also, it's, it's, it kind of pictures a little bit of missing the mark. I'm, I'm going towards this goal. Yeah. But I like the idea of path. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right. And that word way is the word uh, derrick, which is the word path or road or pathway. So there's a there's a way, there's a path that seems right to a person, yeah. but the end is death. And so I get off track. I wander from the path of God. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have, oddly enough, the, the same language we talked about in Isaiah 40, that we want to straighten out the crooked paths. And so the third picture of sin in the, in the Bible is the idea of crookedness, something that's distorted. It's not, it's not straight. And I I think, I think that's easy for us to understand. Yeah. Then here's a real significant one, sin as rebellion. So it's, Mm. it's not that I just missed the mark. It's not that I just wandered, but there's an intentionality about yeah. I'm doing my own thing. I'm rebelling against God. That's that choice. You yeah, know, absolutely. In your face kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Bible loves to talk about that part of our our sin. So it's not just something I did. It's an, it's a direction that I'm going that comes from a rebellious heart mm. or maybe the previous word, a crooked heart. Um, so... Then also people are familiar with the, the famous uh, Lord's Prayer. Um, when the church that you grew up, honey, when, when you guys, I know you, you guys prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Yeah. And so did you use sins, debts, or trespasses? Do you remember? Oh, I was thinking it was either transgressions or trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses yeah. as, as we forgive those who trespass, trespass against, against us. us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've prayed that prayer in so many different translations. I, I don't, I didn't grow up in a church where we prayed that prayer every Sunday. Mm. Um, but I, I, I know that a lot of people use the word debt. I don't like that. I, there, I think that's, there's for obviously some truth there, but, um, I, I think the idea of trespassing is a good word because it's, you know, going someplace where I'm not supposed to go. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's a, true. That's another, just yet one more layer of a, the picture of sin that I've, I've trespassed. I've gone in a place where I'm not supposed to go. Um, First John loves to use the word um, anomia, which is the word for lawlessness. So it's sin as breaking the law of God or sin as... Um, going a different, a direct, different direction from the law that God has given, and um, and then just a couple more. Just I think they're really helpful. Um, we talk a lot about justice in our society today, and, and the you know the whole language of social justice that originally is biblical language, and uh, uh, it's easy for people to hear that phrase social justice to, in today's cultural moment. And ignore that 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 should come from the the Bible's understanding of what justice is. So our society, the Me Too movement, did not invent you know Black Lives Matter did not movement did not invent the concept of injustice or social justice. Uh, unfortunately, it has highlighted it, but the Bible is very tuned in to justice and injustice. 
and not just in the prophets. There's a lot of attention given to justice, but so sin is injustice. When I refuse to give justice to someone or I give them injustice, that's sin. It's not just wrong, it's sin. And so, again, it needs to be repented of. Yeah, that's really a good point because it is a hot topic. Yeah, and really people are very today. drawn to that thought of someone has done me wrong and yeah. I have done somebody else wrong. Maybe not so much, but... Well, and, and I I, um, I know some people don't want to use the language of, of social justice, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's a mistake, but I, it needs to be defined and qualified. I don't want to use the word, the phrase social justice in conversation, say, without being given the right to say, I'm talking about biblical social justice. Yeah, I'm yes. not talking about the way we use it in our society today. That's good clarification yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And then the final one, which is, again, so, so colorful, is the idea of sin as being broken, uh, that sin has broken me, sin has broken our world, and since I live in the world, I'm a part of a broken society. I, I see things from a broken perspective. You know, I'm powerless to change my life and to get rid of my own sin. I'm broken. And it's such a colorful word to describe our, our, our society and to describe our lives. We're, there's a brokenness. And it's not until we recognize that brokenness that we can repent of it. So isn't that, do you think that's, that's interesting hearing all those different colorful words? Oh, sure. I love the, the way the language in the Bible, both Hebrew and Greek, they bring out the different, um, colors and the different words. And there's such a depth of meaning, you know, where the English has one word, the Greek has several words and you're like, (laughs) well, which one do I pick? You know? Um, and I think also when you go and, and cross-reference different verses, you know, oh, I think that word was in that verse. Just the little practical things that you can do mm-hmm. when you read the Bible, it helps bring you a depth of understanding. Yeah. And then those things kind of click in your head like, oh, no, I read about sin there, and I think it was sin there, and forgiveness here. And it just, I think it's a neat And maybe I could give a little um, plug for, there are some online tools that are free now. Mm, um, yeah. BibleStudy.org, Blue Letter Bible, um, I think Bible.org, where these tools enable you to see what's the Greek word, what's the Hebrew word. Therefore, is this about idea of crookedness or is this rebellion or is this, you know, missing the mark? You can find that out without even knowing the original language. Mm -hmm. It's. This is all free online. It's, it's so amazing how accessible things are I now. <laughs> Stuff I went to seminary for and paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars for books uh, is now in my on my phone. I can click to it in a couple seconds. You know, <laughs> technology it can be very good. But you know, this brings up another point. You know, you talk about how um, you like how the color and the nuance mm-hmm. because, and then you made the comment because in our English language we only have that one word, sin. It reminds me, this is also true for the, the word love. True. You know, we have one word for love, mm-hmm. but the Greek has at least six, five or six different words. Yeah. And I don't think any of those are puppy love either. Uh, but, you know, it's family love, um, brotherly love, mm-hmm. uh, other-centered love, uh, erotic love. And so, you know, what a, what a colorful language that gives you depth and meaning and nuance that, again, our English language... I mean, sometimes I, I think, wow, that's such a great language, but it's so barren when it comes to these kinds of concepts, since so we have to add the adjective in front of it. Yeah. So this is the kind of love we're talking about. Yeah. 
Well, and what's a better way to say I love you to somebody than say forgive me? Yeah. When you sin. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> it reminds me of that story. Um, this is years ago in our relationship, but I tell it in my book, but it just, just occurred to me, uh, you and I were having a, a marital spat and, uh, we, we arguing and we said some hurtful things to each other. And, uh, uh, and then you said, you know, do you forgive me? And I said the words, yes, I forgive you. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you uttered one of the greatest lines in relational history. Yes. You said, how can you forgive me with your hands in your pockets? What I was standing Epic. like a board and I had my hands stuffed in my pockets and I was like, I was saying the words, I forgive you. But my body language was like, and you're like, give me a hug. And when you said that, I, I, I cried, I broke down because you exposed me. You know, I, I wasn't really forgiving. I was just saying the words. But when, when you said that, I just remember losing it and going, you're right. And I hugged you and we had this wonderful moment of reconciliation. We did. That was awesome. And we kissed and we should do that right now. No, I no. think now. <laughs> Maybe a little noisy. It's never happened on the podcast before. Oh dear! <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. That's good. But but yeah, I mean those those are these are realities. Husbands and wives need to practice um, repenting to each other, forgiving mm -hmm. one another. Um, that's one of the ways that husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands. You know, it's funny that you say you practice repentance. Mm -hmm. It occurs to me that maybe if we practiced it more, it would become a little bit more of our mm. everyday lifestyle, much yeah. like, you know, you wake up and you say, good morning, God, what's up for today, you mm. know, <laughs> and direct my thoughts in my heart. And yeah. it's always good to start off with a clean slate, you know, yeah. and you know, you'll stumble through, through the day, you'll have an odd thought or, you know, make a mistake and I, I just really love to live by that, keep mm. the account short yeah. and... Yeah. Repentance is exactly the way to do that. Yeah, I, I remember hearing someone say advice for a couple, never go to bed angry. Mm -hmm. And I know I have. I, I, I'm, I hate saying this, but it's oh, true. Okay, I, I repent too. I have too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here we are. The, I'm the pastor of the church, but you know, you're my wife. But these are just realities. I mean, I have gone to bed angry, and, and that's not good for our marriage. And thank God that most of the time we don't. Uh, but True. I think that these are great applications for uh, this this kind of message. Um, yeah, so one of the things that you and I talked about a couple a couple days ago, you asked me, um, is there a difference between the Old Testament concept of repentance and the New Testament concept? And um, and we've just talked about shub is the Old Testament word. Uh, to turn and then metanoia, change the mind. But it's like we need both of those, I think, to capture the fullness. And John the Baptist in our passage is, is, a, is a unique guy because he's kind of like a hinge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Ooh, yeah, I like that. And so he, you know, he, I, you know, this is in Greek, which is, you know, the New Testament language, but a lot of people think that John the Baptist and Jesus often spoke, and if not most of the time, spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in a sense, you know, nobody in the in the in this day, in John the Baptist day and Jesus day, they didn't know what, what a New Testament was. They, right. You know, to, to them, they're they're living in, in in God's world, and so it Luke three really is more of a new. I'm sorry, an Old Testament world, mm. even though it's in our New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and strictly speaking, Jesus hasn't died on the cross. You know, redemption hasn't happened yet. Resurrection hasn't happened. So um, now, and furthermore, the teaching of Jesus hasn't happened. And so we, we're, we are really living in an Old Testament world in Luke 3. Uh, and so uh, we, we need both of those words, the Old Testament word shub and the New Testament word metanoia to capture uh, all the fullness of that word, repentance. Yeah, I I think it's fascinating how when you consider the fact that the disciples lived with the word of God, Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and everything that he spoke out of his word was so it it was the word. Right. Everything that came out of his everything mouth. Everything came out of his mouth. It was, <laughs> it was the word of God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. And the, the things the way he acted and the way he treated people and the way he talked about repentance and, and just changes mm-hmm. of heart. Um, that must have been just incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we're not to Jesus yet. We're still in John the, with John the Baptist. We are. And what a forerunner. Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about this ne- this coming Sunday, how John points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's going to be cool. So do, uh, <laughs> do you remember uh, how you felt when I started the sermon yelling, you brood of vipers? <laughs> Were you like, Jim, what are you doing? I was like, whoa, <laughs> dude, like my hair just blew back. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that was pretty powerful. I mean, it was it was kind of one of those unexpected, but you can almost imagine, you know, um, I don't expect that out of your character because you're not exactly John the Baptist, but the chosen has done us a great justice to to get a little picture of this wild-eyed guy creepy john creepy john yeah uh, <laughs> oh, peter calls him creepy john <laughs> but yeah definitely definitely a tension getter you yeah. know and oh, man. not i'm not a real sma- a snakes fan but Me yeah either. it it just really did make a point yeah 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 well and and that that phrase is a colorful phrase mm-hmm. for sure sure is yeah, vipers, not exactly your your pet. Mm-hmm. I know some people who do have like pet snakes, but I can't imagine having a no, pet viper or python. No, thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I I remember where was I? Oh, I was at a um an event here at church that you were in charge of. You had a petting a petting zoo. I did. And that mm-hmm. to uh, when our uh, Lyria was it just it was, oh no it was the whole church yep. it wasn't just Lyria, mm-hmm. and the the guy that did the petting zoo had a snake he did and he's he, and I walked over there he's like do you want to hold the snake and I'm like are you crazy <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> but there were some people standing there in the parking lot with that snake running around their neck and I'm like that's yeah. not happening with me yeah well. <laughs> Did you get angry and not sin? <laughs> I wasn't angry. No. I was afraid. Afraid. Okay, so you can you can. Plus, be I just despise snakes, man. Oof. Yeah, I know. I know that's so true. Yeah. Well, I was thinking um, about the sin, and I remember you put on the up on the screen mm. like thirty-eight yeah. different. Was it thirty-eight? Yeah, thirty-eight different. <laughs> you know, some people take pictures of those screenshots, so you can get your screenshot out and and count them all different sins that are in the Bible. And I think it was just a very sobering list. I've heard that from some people like, whoa. And, and I think that's a really great exercise even to look at those words again. Um, But, you know, I was thinking too, you put the 38 sins on the screen, but 
I mean, this is just kind of a trivia thing. How many sins are there? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How many sins are there? Um, yeah, I don't think that there is a complete list because, you know, remember I quoted a couple of weeks ago, John Calvin, uh, 16th century theologian, who said that the human heart is an idol factory. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love in the, that quote. In the same way, mm -hmm. the human heart invents sin. I mean, we it just comes out of us. Jesus said that that sin just comes right out of us. So I think we are adding to the list, you know, that every, unfortunately every day there's new sins being committed. Um, I remember, um, gosh, where, when was, what was this? Um, I was talking with a, a Catholic person who had tried to write down every possible sin because, you know, they Whoa. have to confess, you know, every right. sin. You you can't let any sin go on and confess. You can't confess generally. Mm. So it's a big deal to get really specific in the way that they do their church thing. And he's trying to write down every imaginable sin. And I remember looking at the list going, ah, I mean, that, oh, okay, that feels like you're inventing that. Mm. But, yeah, so, I, you know, I answered your question, I don't know. I mean, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of, of different sins. Um, but it's, you know, I also wouldn't say it's, it's an unlimited amount because, uh, you, you are, it's funny. You are often, you often say about us as human beings that we're a more, a lot more like each other than we realize. Yes. So, you know, people are people, whether it's 4,000 years ago or whether it's 40 years ago or whether it's today, yeah. the human heart is a sin factory. It is. And we, we, we sin and we're a lot more like each other than we realize. So there's not an unlimited number of sins, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't have a number. <laughs> That's <laughs> well, an interesting question. The, as we're sitting here talking about sin, I'm thinking, whoa, but I really want to talk about grace, you know, mm, cause where no, sin good. abounds, grace is so much more. Mm -hmm. And by just speaking those sins and being very honest and saying, God, my heart is mm -hmm. not in a good place with these things. And I want to confess this because I know it's breaking your heart and it's breaking our relationship. And I remember doing some of the recovery classes that I did in our former churches and how powerful it is when you confess your sin to another person mm -hmm. and that power of just releasing that uh, from your life. And that person has the courage to agree with you and say, yeah, let me tell you the truth about that. You're, mm. you're putting that on the table before the Lord. And he's saying, I forgive you. Yeah. And as a person sitting yeah. here across from you, he forgives you. Mm. And sometimes you just need somebody to breathe that into your ear oh. Oh. and to speak that's the so truth good. over you because you can get stuck and that's not a good place to be. That's, so that's an excellent point. You know, sometimes as Protestants, we try to be so anti-Catholic that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. And so we were talking about, you know, confessing in a confessional to the priest, you know, or to the, the father, whatever, whatever that is. I, I'm not exactly how that works. But I think it's what priest. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and trying to name every sin. Um, but as Protestants, do we realize the power of what you're saying of hearing that person say, you're forgiven. I forgive you, you know, and, and embrace the forgiveness of God. And, you know, a lot of Protestant churches don't have confession times in their services. I, I, and now that I'm saying that, we, I think we could use to, uh, in our worship settings and worship sets and in our uh, worship services, we could probably use some more um, 
you know, opportunities to confess our sin, to pray prayers of confession. That's, a, that's an excellent point. And it also reminds me, uh, since you grew up in a different kind of church than I did, we laughed about this in the sermon. Oh, yeah. That uh, you grew up in Episcopal Church. And so did you guys have confessionals like Catholics do? Did, I don't remember any confessionals. Okay. I went to catechism class and I, I I don't remember much. I remember they never really talked about Jesus and the sacrifice and really? and having a relationship with him. So I didn't know the concept of being a Christian until I was a teenager, but... I remember being so disappointed because I went through the class and I didn't get to go to the end of it. Hmm. And the goal was to go up to the priest at the t- at the front of the altar, and then you get the wafer. And I didn't get the wafer. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I just had to stand there with my it's hands hilarious. crossed as a little kid and never got the wafer. Like, <laughs> so your goal as a kid was to get the wafer. Absolutely. And you never got it. I never got it. <laughs> No, <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, would 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 you say that was the goal of your friends as well? I mean, like that's get the wafer. I'm going to use that phrase. I just love it. Yeah, like we all wanted to know what it was like. Was it like plastic, or you know, was it like a melt in your mouth? It just, I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness, we just thought that was pretty fun. I know there's a lot of similarities between the Episcopal Church and the Catholic Church, but I also know mm-hmm. there's a lot of differences. So you you yeah. said you you had to cross your arms that, mm-hmm. and that was that meant That's a symbol not, that you're not old enough to get uh, communion. Uh, and old enough and had not gone through catechism mm-hmm. or both? Yeah, like you had to both check okay. both boxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, honey, we'll go home and get some wafers for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I didn't get the wafer. Wow. That's, that's, that's hilarious. <clears throat> well, I remember um, growing up in, in church and hearing about John the Baptist, and all I could think about was the camel-haired outfit, yeah. you know, and and a fiery kind of a preacher who... Uh, you know, we didn't have catechism classes in the churches I grew up in, but we had, you know, Sunday school. I, I wonder if that's a, basically the same thing. And and whenever they told the stories of John the Baptist, and it was, you know, the the, the flannel graph. Oh my gosh, remember the flannel graph? Oh my word! That's, You're dating yourself. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. But the, that and the pictures. John the Baptist was always a wild man. Yeah. You know. Yeah. His his hair was wild, locusts in his beard, and fiery eyes. Um, that's, that's, that's so crazy. And even you read this text that we're looking at and it kind of makes sense, you know, screaming, you brutal vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. And this idea of the axes that are already at the root of the trees and you're going to be thrown into the fire. I mean, that's, that's strong, strong language. He was Um, pretty bold. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, but that's when you have a call in your life and you know what you're supposed to say. Uh, he was empowered to, to bring it on. Yeah. I think, you know, in, ter- in, in light of the series we, we just finished on parenting, and um, I'm trying to think when, when you and I had children at home, I'm, try- I'm just trying to remember how we handled repentance and that whole thing with our kids because I think that's a, that's to kind of put these two series together. Mm. That's they, they, they go together, you know, they do. Um, I think I remember saying in the previous series that we want to talk to our kids about grace because mm-hmm. the home is where kids probably do their first sin. And 
um, and do most of their sinning as as little, especially as little children. Um, I remember having two kids. They were in a conflict, and one had maybe hit the other hmm. or took something out of their room, and you couldn't just say sorry. It was like, <laughs> I'm sorry for taking the book right. from your book pack. Right. You, and it w- didn't even stop there. It was like, will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. And then the other one had to say, it couldn't be, yeah, it couldn't be sure. It couldn't be, it had to be, yes, I forgive you. And then you had to do the hug. Yeah. So it was, it was it, very thorough. Yeah. And I remember you teaching the kids that, and in a way that's funny because that is the, the what I was teaching Sunday. Repentance is you know turning from that mm-hmm. to God and then demonstrating it. So you weren't satisfied with just you know I'm sorry oh, or yeah. even feeling right. bad. You were already teaching our kids demonstrate it by giving them a hug or giving the toy back or whatever it is, whatever you had them do. So you were being theologically brilliant as a young mother. Only by God's grace, that's for sure. (laughs) I should have paid more attention. I I, I could have learned a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, well, the time you stole the brownie off the plate and it was for somebody else. Did you ever say you're sorry about that? No. Not if it's a brownie. I'm not apologizing for that. (laughs) I also never apologized to you for the time that you made um, these amazing chocolate uh, cupcakes. This This is our first apartment after we got out of college and you made, you made these great chocolate brownies with all this chocolate icing on them. And I got home from work before you did. And I ate two of the cupcakes, even though you'd asked me not to. Uh-huh, I remember that. And then I, I remember having so much fun, uh, because, uh, the, the, the people across the hall from us, they had a cat. And so there was cat hair all over the place. And so I took some of the litter from the hallway, some of the cat <laughs> hair, and then I, I remember clipping off some of my mustache hair. I remember that. And putting it around the cupcakes. It was... <laughs> and, and so it looked like a, a mouse had gotten in there or something, you know, and then uh, getting a stick and and putting it in the icing and then yes, you putting did. it on the ground. Yes, like, like, like a mouse put his foot in the icing and then walked walked away. And I was mortified. <laughs> I was just like, we need to throw these brownies, these cupcakes away because mice have been in them. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> kind of blew up in your face, didn't it? <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, it was fun. You were always teasing me like that. Oh, yeah. yeah I, That's you, fun. You say that on your gravestone, it's going to say, teased to death. It probably will. <laughs> it probably will. Oh man. So, so, um, sins of commission, sins of omission. Um, I, I thought about talking more about that. Um, but I felt like, you know, the, the sermon wasn't about sin and the sermon was about repentance. And right. I, I only wanted to give enough language of sin to help people get clear about what I'm repenting of. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was definitely something I left on the cutting room floor is to go a little more in depth into sins of commission, sins we commit versus sins of omission. Uh, and also the, I, I don't think I, did I say the phrase that we sin every day in thought, word, and deed? I, th- I think that's something I cut out as well. Yeah. I don't think that made the Sunday wrap. Yeah. Cause there, there was a church that I was a part a Presbyterian church that I was a part of for a couple years as a kid where they made a really big deal out of, sins of commission, sins of omission, and sinning every day in thought, word, and deed. And I remember just being drilled into our heads. Mm. Um, we were supposed to try to dredge up some thoughtful sin- thought we had that was sinful. 
and dredge up some deed that we did that was sinful and and you know just I remember just being feeling like I was getting beat over my head to yeah. try to dredge up these sins. I could see where that would be the case. Now, how did you ever feel like a bit of repentance or forgiveness over that? Like you could be released from that, almost like the, a sentence, a death sentence on you, you know? Well, actually, honey, it, it, it didn't happen until my mom and dad. So sometimes some people don't realize, uh, of course, they don't know that my story, that my parents became Christians just after I was born. So they mm. were they were religious people, but they weren't Christians. And so they didn't realize that the first couple churches that they took us to as children were very legalistic. Uh, they didn't have categories for that. They, mm -hmm. They're brand new Christians. And, um, and so as they began to grow as Christians, you know, it's, it's funny to think of my parents as young parents, <laughs> but as young parents and growing in the Lord, my parents grew, were very eager to grow in the Lord, very committed Christians. And they began to realize I think what we're hearing from the pulpit is legalism. Mm. Where's the grace? And they began to develop a discernment. And and I remember um, they told us we were going to be leaving a church. And I remember being really upset that we were leaving this church because the preacher, in order to get us kids to listen, because we weren't allowed to go to like children's church, you know, you, you sat in that wooden pew and you listened to that preacher Ooh, preach, rough. you know, and so I, what he would do was brilliant, was that he uh, would throw in just a phrase without changing his inflection or changing his tone of voice. And it's just, you know, he'd be preaching along, preaching along, and all of a sudden he's saying, if you want some candy, meet me in my office 10 minutes after that, and then, you, and then he could go on. Oh. So he, so he, it was his way of keeping us Brilliant. kids to pay attention. So I I was all about that, man. So mm -hmm. I was really dialed in. Plus, I'm an auditory learner, so, so I was hanging on every word. So I never missed free candy or free stuff. <laughs> and um, some of my friends were like, you know, let's follow Joe, follow Jim, you know, wherever he's going, because he was paying attention. And when we left that church, no more candy. Oh, man. So to me, that's the judge of a good church. Oh. Is the preacher going to give kids candy? Who cares about the Bible and theology and grace? But my parents were beginning to grow in the Lord and realize we're, we're training our children in a graceless mm. environment. I'm so grateful that they recognized that and left the church. That's a good reason to leave a church. You know, people leave church all the time for bad reasons, you know. <laughs> That's a good reason that the church is teaching, preaching legalism. Oh, yeah. And so the church that they found... It was called Christian Tabernacle in Dayton, Ohio, mm. and that's where we learned grace. Uh. And it was like a breath of fresh air. And so, um, man, what a what a difference! And so, sometimes people talk about preaching repentance as you know that's legalism, and it's not. You know, legalism is when you're you're trying to be justified by keeping all the rules. Or when you you know make people jump through all these hoops in order to get forgiven, and that's why almost every time I preach about repentance, I love to say to people, and let's remember that any time the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, points out our sin, and calls us to repent, there is a loving Father who's eager yeah. to forgive us. He loves to forgive. 
And when I say stuff like that, I'm remembering my childhood when mm. I began to learn the difference between a judgmental God who couldn't wait to pounce on me and, um, and a, a, a gracious God. And, and, and even though my parents took me out of a legalistic church, that was drilled into me mm. so indelibly. It wasn't until college or after college that I really began to grasp what grace was. And so I might have been one of these people that said, you know, if you're preaching repentance, you're preaching legalism. Mm. Because to me, you know, sin was, was, you know, always included just kind of, you know, this pounding that, you know, you, you're a terrible person and, you know, and God's angry at you. Um, I know you have said that you've, you were in churches with it. You got the picture that God was an angry God. Sure. And I wonder uh, how many people actually live in that paradigm. Oh, I bet a lot. I just, I want to say to anybody who's out there who has that kind of paradigm uh, in their head, that's the lie. Yeah. You know, the truth is God is a gracious God and he just wants a relationship so bad with mm-hmm. you. He, he did the ultimate, you know, gave up his son for you. Well, and it, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't get angry or that, that the, you know, there, there are passages in the Bible where God gets angry. Sure. Um, but to describe God as an angry God mm-hmm. is a gross misrepresentation. It's incomplete. We talk about the caricatures of God, how, right. you know, comic artists will sometimes take a, a feature of a person like their ears or their nose and make it really big. You know, and so it's blown out of proportion. That's a caricature. Do they have a nose? Yeah, but it's not that big, right. you know? And I think they do the same thing with God's character. Does God get angry? Yes. But to, to blow it out of proportion and make him just an angry God? No. If you're going to blow anything out of proportion, blow out his love. But that's also a caricature that if we only talk about God as, as being love and we don't have the full biblical picture, then that's also a caricature, a distortion. And that's dangerous too, because then I don't have an appreciation for his holiness and for justice. So, And those are the truths. He yes. is holy. He yeah. is righteous. He mm-hmm. is just, but he's also gracious. Yes. Truth and grace. Hmm. Mm. Who does that remind I've you of? I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. It's in a book that I read. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's, it, it, you know, when we're, whenever I'm preaching, I, I ask myself, who are the people in the crowd today? You know, where are they coming from? Are they, do they know anything about God, anything about the Bible? Do they know biblical stories? And if they are people who come from church, you know, what kind of church do they come from? You just can't, you can't preach as if there's only one or two kinds of people out there. There's yeah. tons of variety of different people with all kinds of understandings and, um, um, the parent, the preaching, I, you know, I, I'm always thinking about how can I apply this to as many people as possible. And I think that's one of the things you did really well on Sunday was that application. Okay, so we've talked about repentance, and that is something that you you do. You need to repent of that um, sin that you've committed. But then there's a second part. Now, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, giving generously. Don't be greedy. Be trustworthy. Don't take advantage of people. Don't accuse people falsely and be content. You know, I think even to camp on one of those as as an exercise, which one of these are really hard for me? Mm. You know, trustworthiness, Mm. content, being just content. um, That might be a really great exercise to do. Yeah. So, so is discontentment, is that a sin? 
Um, I think I would say no, but discontentment can lead me to sin. Uh, if I wallow in that and turn, yeah, yeah. Take your discontent and do actions that mm-hmm. are sinful, mm-hmm. harmful, lies against even yourself, you know, entertaining things that are not not true. Yeah, so it's when, so John's command to be content with your pay or, you know, Paul talked about this in Philippians, the idea of, of being content. Mm. Um that can keep me from other kinds of sins because ultimately if I'm as, especially as a Christian, if I'm discontent, then, you know, that's somehow I'm going to be blaming God for that. You know, you're not taking care of me or you, you know, you're, you're not blessing me enough and I'm not happy with my lot in life. Well, you know, God's sovereign. So I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy with him. And, you know, I think there are, you know, there's definitely been times where I have blamed God, you know, out loud, on purpose, intentionally, <laughs> you know, very clearly. But I think there's also maybe times where I maybe was uh, angry at God and didn't realize it. Mm. I remember reading a book by Dan Allender one time. Oh, such a great author. Any book you read by Dan Allender is so good. And he was, oh, was it Larry Crabb? Because they worked together for a while. Either one, great writers. Now that I'm saying, telling the story, I'm I, I'm getting the two confused. But mm. the point is that I remember reading a book that one of them wrote, and they were saying that that everybody is angry at God, and I was like, I'm not. <laughs> I remember I remember feeling I'm not. And then How as he <laughs> as he went on to explain the the patterns in our life and mm. that come from kind of a a, a pushed down anger a a uh, stuffed anger. I remember being angry at the author because he was right. Uh (laughs) And I was, you know, because I remember saying, I'm not angry, but then he exposed me as Mm. that there was an attitude in my life that was showing up that I realized that's because I'm angry at God. And wow, what a realization that was. That is, yeah. uh, I, I didn't, I was confronted with my sin and I denied it and I argued against it and the Holy Spirit used that book to expose mm. um, a deep, deep-seated and uh, well-watered anger. <laughs> it was just kind of festering down at the bottom of my soul. Mm. And um, So when you brought that up, you had to bring that up to God and say, hey. Yeah. I repent of that, you know, because, because, um, you know, I know all sin is committed against God, but when I'm angry at God, that really feels like I need to confess that to God, you know, Mm -hmm. because like, wow, honestly, has, what has God ever done that would cause me to be angry? Well, he didn't give me what I wanted or something happened in my life that I felt like I didn't deserve that. Mm -hmm. And why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you take care of this? But I didn't have the guts or maybe the honesty or the intelligence to recognize that that I was blaming him. And so it just got worse and worse and began to fester. Mm. And um, wow, that's that was, I, yeah, I remember that very distinctly. Well, I'm thankful that you dealt with that yeah. because that would have probably changed the trajectory of what you're doing right now. You can't oh. stay angry at God yeah. in your life and and want to walk intimately with him. Those are mutually exclusive, yeah. though you can be angry, but sooner or later you really have to bring it up 
you know, talk to him about that. Well, as he said, you know, every, everybody has got some level of anger. Mm-hmm. That, and uh, I always wonder how many people are listening today are, you know, would say, oh, no, I don't. But at the little reflection, maybe might say, ooh, maybe I do. Maybe that's a good thing to leave this podcast with is to, to um, you know, we ended the service by saying, what's the Holy Spirit prompting you to do? Yeah. Well, let's, let's maybe end the podcast with the same question. Mm. Um, you know, what, is there anything that we've talked about today that would remind you of a sin you've committed or that you need to repent of, an attitude, um, an action? Uh, uh, we didn't talk about this, but sin can be an attitude as well as an action. Yeah, that's so true. And um, maybe the Holy Spirit would want to free you up from Mm. something that's been binding you. Yeah. Because again, he doesn't point it out because he likes to point it out or because he wants to trash us, but to free us, to, to forgive us, to listen, you know, to bring liberation into our life. Yeah. That's how you know it's him because he always has good for you. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you into truth and love and grace. Yeah. 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 New life. Well, I think I'll I think I'll just pray. Uh, before I do, though, it's been great having you in the Cutting Room Floor podcast. Thank you for jumping in. And thanks for asking me. Uh, it's been fun talking together. Sure. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of your Holy Spirit, who is always working. And Holy Spirit, we just address you. Thank you for your work mm-hmm. in our life, yes. both to grow us, uh, to strengthen us, to heal us, to comfort us, all those things. But specifically in this message, thank you for your faithful work to, to reveal sin in our life that we need to repent of. Yes, and and, uh, and thank you for helping us see that God is a God who loves to forgive and who's quick to to forgive and eager to forgive. And we boldly invite you mm. to search our hearts yes. and to expose an attitude or a thought or an action or something that we said um, or to go deeper into that uh, subconscious uh, anger that's, that just sits at the bottom of some people's hearts and it's just toxic and it's eroding uh, joy and it's eroding faith and it's eroding love. Uh, would you point that out in our lives, Lord, so we mm-hmm. can get rid of that and confess that? And would you bring healing? Yes. And even through the airwaves of a, of a podcast, listening in mm-hmm. the car or listening in a study or in a kitchen, out on a run, um, that, uh, your Holy spirit would work in our hearts, that healing, purifying effect when we repent of our sins Mm. and turn to you and invite you to do your, your cleansing, healing work in our hearts. Um, for that, we say thank you in advance and thinking in advance causes me to remember to thank you in the past for all that you've done to forgive. And Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross, making this all possible. As we work through the last couple of weeks of Lent and work lead up to Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter, we, we know that's, that's the week where this whole redemptive plan comes together. That's mm-hmm. the week where... We celebrate how you dealt with our sin once and for all. 
and um, no confessing, no feeling sorry for our sin, no trying to resolve and change things has any power if you did not break the power of sin on the cross, Mm -hmm. Lord Jesus. So we thank you. And I just pray blessing upon all of our listeners. Mm -hmm. And and I bless my wife. Thank you for the opportunity to do this podcast with her. And we pray all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.